isn't it amazing and encouraging to think about the fact that there are churches just like ours, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of local churches faithfully preaching God's word, teaching his people on the Lord's day, millions and millions of prayers being offered up for the Lord to bring in his people and to care for the nations of the world. It's just humbling. It's so encouraging to be a small part of that, that prayer that Graham just prayed. Prayers like that going before the throne of grace all over the world today. Very encouraging to me. It's the book of Acts being fleshed out in the 21st century. Beloved, please stand for the reading of God's word. As we continue our series through the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, everything is building toward his ultimate transition to Rome. This morning we have a little handout that you can see on your insert on the other side of the hymn. You'll want to follow along with that as we, as we go along today through the sermon. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God written for you and written for me. Luke writes, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy. They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly and for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the car cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion, he paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it 
and we were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, it was a midwinter day off the coast of Massachusetts in 1896 that the crew of a mackerel schooner spotted a bottle with a note in it. The schooner was off the George's Bank, one of the most dangerous fishing grounds in all of the world. And a bottle with a note in it, it was a dire sign indeed. A deckhand scooped it out of the water, the seagrass was stripped away, and the captain uncorked the bottle and turned to his assembled crew to read what was inside. Quote, on George's bank, our cable gone, our rudder gone, and leaking. Two men have been swept away. All hands have been given up as our cable is gone and our rudder is gone. The one that picks this up, let it be known. God have mercy upon us. That note, as it turns out, was from the Falcon, a boat that has set sail from Gloucester the year before. She had not been heard of since. A boat that parts her cable off the George's bank careens helplessly along until she ends up in shallow water and gets pounded to pieces by the surf. One of the Falcon's crew must have wedged himself against a bunk and the forecastle, which is the cabin beneath, and written furiously beneath the heaving light of a storm lantern. This was the end, and everyone knew it. How do men act on a sinking ship? Do they hold each other? Do they pass around whiskey? Do they cry? This man, he wrote. He put down on a scrap of paper the very last moments of 20 men in this world. He corked the bottle, threw it overboard, went below, breathed deep, calmed himself, and readied himself for the first extremely cold shock of the sea. Friends, this is a passage from a book titled The Perfect Storm, a book that describes the kind of storm that may only happen once in a century, a nor'easter so rare, a combination of factors brought it together that it could not possibly have been worse. In 1991, the storm created waves 10 stories high and winds 120 miles an hour. The storm whipped the sea to inconceivable levels few people on earth have ever witnessed. Few people, that is, except the six-man crew of the Andrea Gale, a commercial vising, a commercial fishing boat tragically headed towards its hellish center. All hands were lost. 
How do men act on a sinking ship? Do they hold each other? Do they pass around whiskey? Do they cry? Well, Luke also. Luke wrote. Think about where our scripture passage leaves off. With Luke in the forecastle. He's in the cabin beneath. Readying himself for the first cold shock of the sea. At verse 20, Luke, who is on the boat, thinks they are going to die momentarily. What would that feel like? What would drowning feel like? That's what Luke had on his mind. Let's look at the passage. Acts 27, verses 1 through 20. Notice the historical detail that Luke includes in this passage. Luke is on the boat. He is sailing with Paul. He includes so many details that would not have been possible had he not been there. This is an incredible record left and handed down for the church to benefit from. So look at your scripture reading and your bulletin and let's follow along closely with this map. It'll be very helpful. Incredibly interesting. First one of Acts 27, and when it was decided that we, again the we, Luke is there, he's on the boat, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, do you remember the context? Paul had appealed to Caesar when he knew he would not get a fair trial, and to Caesar he was sent. No doubt, Festus had sent him by boat, because you know there were people that were gunning for his life and were trying to to kill him in an ambush. So they sent Paul by boat to Rome. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort, an elite group of Roman officers. The centurion's name was Julius. He's the military courier assigned to get Paul from Caesarea to Rome. Verse 2. And embarking in a ship... Embarking in a, of a, in a ship of Adermidium. Now look at your notes. Look at your, your map. So, if Crete is in the center, look north and east, just above Asia, that's where you could see on your map Adermidium. And so this vessel is ultimately from Adermidium. It has gone southeast, okay? It has gotten its wares. It's heading back up to Adermidium. These kinds of boats would hug the coast. And so the Roman centurion, he used his privileges and prerogatives as a Roman officer to make sure that they would carry him along the way. He could, in a sense, um, you know, require the services of the vessel. Okay, so it's a ship of Adramidium. That's where it's going back to. Verse 2. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. You can look at your notes, kind of modern-day Turkey. If you know where Ephesus is, that's the region that they referred to as Asia. Verse 2, and embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Aristarchus had been traveling with Paul probably for about seven years at this point. Verse 3, Verse 3, the next day we put into Sidon. So let's look at your map. Egypt is in the bottom right of the map. Bottom right, of, bottom right of the map. You go up, you see Jerusalem. They start in Caesarea. So they hop northeast to Sidon along the Mediterranean 
coast. Verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Paul was a Roman citizen. He was viewed as a political prisoner, not like, you know, a dangerous criminal. So Julius gave him some privileges to commune with some Christians in Sidon. He could care for them. They could care for him. He was not a flight risk, in other words. Verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. This was very close to Jerusalem. Lots of Christians there. Verse 4, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus. Look at your map. The lee would be a sheltered harbor, a sheltered port. So they go from Sidon, they go to the north of Cyprus. There was the lee there, the protected port or harbor. Luke says, because the winds were against us, which means they were going very slow. These vessels were not used to traveling against the winds. It would have made for hard sailing. Verse 5, and when we had sailed across the open sea, but it wasn't like out in the middle of the Mediterranean. Look at verse 5, and when we had sailed Across the open sea, again, these vessels were not made to go out to the open oceans. They would hug the coastline. When we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. And so if you go just north of Sidon, you'll see Syria, you'll see Antioch, then you'll see Cilicia, and then the greater region is called Pamphylia. Okay, and then it said we came to Myra, in Lycia. Do you see that on the map? That's where they're sailing to. They're hugging the coastline. Verse 6. Now this makes all the sense in the world. Because you see that they were on a ship that was heading to Adramidium. So that ship was going to keep going north and hugging the coastline. And so now Julius conscribes a different boat. Okay. A boat that is now going to go to Rome. So they, he hops aboard a different boat vessel. Verse 6. There in um, Lycia, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So you look down at Egypt. There's Alexandria. Okay. The Egyptians provided grain all over the Roman Empire. Okay. So the boat that they get on comes from Alexandria. It's on its way to Rome. And so they hop aboard this vessel, okay, and they're on the way to Rome. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty, because they're at this point of the year, they're going against the wind, they arrived with difficulty off Nidus. You can see that on your map as the arrow goes along, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni. Okay, do you see that on your map? So they shoot down and go west and they come to this lee and they're going to stay at what's called the Fair Havens. Okay, verse 8. Coasting, it, coasting along it with difficulty along the coastline, we came to a place called Fair Havens near which was the city of Lycia. Okay, so that's where they're stopped right now. That's in the very middle of your map. You can say Lycia, they're fair havens. That's the place that they have sailed to. Okay, now the story starts to get more interesting. Verse 9. 
since much time had lasted. See, they were already leaving late in the year. Okay? They were already leaving too late to really get to Rome safely. Okay? And we're going to find out why. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, and Luke tells you why. Because even the fast was already over. Okay, that's your date stamp. That's your time mark. The fast was referring to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which happens at the end of September, early October. And so if it's after the fast, this is now mid-October. Okay, extremely dangerous times to sail in the Mediterranean because massive storm systems blow through there. You would never want to sail in the Mediterranean from this time forward and going into the winter. Very hard time to sail. Verse 9, since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. So we're now mid-October. We're entering the winter season. Paul advised them, verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our very lives. Okay? What many scholars think is that Paul learned this like through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't just because Paul was an experienced sailor at this point. Paul knew from the Lord that trouble was coming if they left this port. He doesn't say that, okay, to the pilot and the owner of the ship, okay. He just tells them, it's not wise for us to leave right now. Verse 11, and I can understand this. But the centurion, Julius, he pays more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. So these would have been experienced mariners, experienced sailors. And so Julius, here's what Paul says. Here, here's what the, what the pilot says, what the owner says, and he decides to go with them. Verse 12. And because the harbor, like the fair havens where they are, it's not suitable to spend the winter. And there probably were no accommodations there. It was very spartan. It would have been hard to spend six months there. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance. Okay, everybody knew this was dangerous because of the time of the year. On the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. So look where they are. Lycia, Fairhavens, that is a very short little jump over to Phoenix. But everybody knew this was extremely dangerous. Okay, but that's a better harbor. And so the pilot and the owner of the craft agreed with Julius, we're going to give it a shot. We're going to go there. Okay. End of verse 12 facing both south and southwest this phoenix harbor we're going to spend the winter there verse 13 now when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore so they're like this is great the winds are favorable things are looking good let's go for it okay verse 14 but but soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster. Okay, that was a technical term, a nautical term of the day. Okay, the Greek word is Euroclidon, okay, which, which literally means east wind, north wind, okay, because that's where those two wind currents came together. East wind, north wind came together, swirled together, producing massive storms. It had a name. 
You did not want to be in the Mediterranean when the Euryclidon came through. So it came, it struck down from the land at the end of verse 14. So it's going to blow them out to sea, verse 15. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, they weren't designed to go into the wind like this. We gave way to it and were driven along. What does that mean? These kinds of grain ships, we're going to find out that's what this is later. It's a large grain ship with 276 people on board. Okay? Those were steered by rudder. I mean by oars, not by rudders. And so when it says they were driven along, they just had to go wherever the winds blew them at this point. They couldn't steer. They were in no control. This wind blows out this Euryclidon and just blows them out to sea. This is worst case scenario. Verse 15. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island, the sheltered harbor of a small island called Cotta. Okay, look at your map. So do you see where they were at Lycia, Fair Havens? They're trying to go to Phoenix. They get blown down to that tiny little island of Cotta. Verse 16, running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. What is that? So vessels like this would always travel with what we would call a skiff or a dinghy. And they would drag it behind them because a ship this big couldn't get close to shore. So when you would get close to shore, you would weigh down the anchor and then you would send people on the skiff to shore. Okay? But in the case of a massive storm, if that skiff filled up with water, it would be a huge anchor and could pull the ship down. And so when they got to a place where they could... They secured the ship's boat. They put the skiff on board to secure it, okay? Then, verse 17, this is fascinating. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Now think about this. Luke is telling you exactly what happened. The Greek word for supports is boethia, okay? It's a nautical term that refers to something that's called a frapping cable. Okay, and we don't know exactly how they worked, but these frapping cables, these large ropes were used to undergird the ship. If you were in a massive storm and you were concerned about striking land or a sandbar, you would frap the boat. You would put massive ropes all around the boat, either longwise or across the width, and it would undergird, it would support the ship, it would keep it from breaking up. So it helped the integrity of the ship. So they secured the skiff, and then they put out the frapping cables to surround the boat. So here we go. Verse 17, after hoisting up the skiff, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, look at your map, look at the bottom left, See the Sirtis Major? So above North Africa, there's all these, these sandbars. And they have no idea where they are. They didn't have radar. They didn't have cell phones. None of that. And because it's overcast, okay, and they would use the stars for navigation. No clue where they are. They think in this storm they've drifted down to North Africa near these notorious sandbars. They're concerned about that. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis... They lowered their gear. They brought down the sails and thus they were driven along. 
Since we were violently storm-tossed. Okay, that's an understatement. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the carbo cargo. That's when you know things are serious. They are throwing money overboard. They are throwing profits overboard. Okay, what they're trying to do is lighten the boat. A boat whose draft is lower in the, in the water, is, it's easier for waves to knock them over. So they're trying to lighten the ship so it would ride higher on the water. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Verse 19, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. We don't know exactly what that was. Probably heavy equipment. That goes overboard. They threw it over with their hands. Verse 20, imagine what it would have been like to have been there. When neither sun, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us. You can't see anything. You're in a massive storm. How does Luke finish this section? All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Luke thinks they are going to die. Go to panel five. This is extremely exciting. It's very dramatic. Should cause some anxiety in a sense. What's going to happen here? So panel 5, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, why would they have been without food for a long time? Because they were horribly seasick. They would have been in the ship's hold, you know, not have been able to eat for many days, incredibly seasick. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, this is the infamous, I told you so. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Here we go. Yet now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. In other words, the ship is going to go down, but if you listen to me, not a life will be lost. How does he know this? Verse 23. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. That was a sight for sore eyes, I can tell you that. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. That's how angels often greet people do not be afraid Paul you must stand before Caesar and behold God has granted you all those who sail with you so take heart men for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told in other words I have faith that the word of God Almighty will come true to the letter Verse 26, but we must run aground on some island. Isn't this interesting how this is a reversal of what happened with Jonah? Jonah's disobedient presence on the boat put the boat at risk. Okay? So they threw him overboard. But here, the Apostle Paul's presence on the boat, he was their key to safety. 
you know, it's analogous to Noah and the ark. Only those on the ark, only those who trusted the living God and got on that boat would be saved. Noah and his family had to trust that the word of God was true. And so they built that ark over a number of years. That was the key to their safety. Think of the faith and the trust. So the sailors here, they're about to be put to the test. Who are they going to believe? They've already heard what Paul has said and how it came true. This was the word of God through Paul. And who were they going to believe? Would they believe the word of God through Paul the second time around? I would say that Luke is also trying to teach the reader something, as we will see. Look at verse 27. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Did you hear that? Two weeks. Two weeks of being in the middle of a massive storm in the Mediterranean Sea. I, I cannot begin to imagine. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven along the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. So they would have lines with lead at the bottom and they would test the depth. They took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. That's hundred and twenty feet. A little farther on, they took another sounding and found fifteen fathoms. That's ninety feet. So they're getting closer to shore. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and they prayed for day to come. Because if they ran aground in the middle of that storm, they were dead men. The ship would have been ripped apart to pieces. And so they dropped anchor because it was shallow enough and they prayed that the day would come so they could figure out where they were. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship, now this is incredible, and had lowered the ship's boat. That's the skiff. Think of it as a life raft. They had lowered the life raft into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Okay, so the sailors on the boat thought they were dead men. So they were going to act like they were going to check the anchors. Okay, but they were going to get on this lifeboat and they would never be seen again. Okay, that was their, that was their plan. Okay. Verse 30, as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship, they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Verse 31, Paul said to the centurion, he says to Julius and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the question for Julius is who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the word of God through Paul? Or are you going to trust in this life raft? What they did next is, I think, incredible. Verse 32. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. See, when the soldiers figured this out, they, should have, they could have kicked the sailors out and they could have taken the boat and gone ashore. This was their life raft. This was their only means of salvation. And they trusted the word of God through Paul and they just cut it away. They just cut their life raft away. Can you... Imagine, they just let it go. Their salvation, they just let that little boat go. Verse 33. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. It's time to eat now. Saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you 
to take some food. He's taking command. He's saying, we're going to make it. Trust the word of God. It's time to eat. You're going to need your strength. Verse 34, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, notice the familiarity of this language. He took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. This language is very reminiscent of Jesus thanking the Lord breaking the bread in the feeding of the five thousands. It is almost identical to the words of institution that Jesus prayed. This was an act of worship an expression of thanksgiving to the true and living God. Verse 36. And Luke wants the reader to know that. This is all being orchestrated by the sovereign hand of the God of the Hebrews. He is the creator God. Verse 36. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. Luke tells us exactly how many people were on board. We were, in all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors left them in the sea and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders or the, or the oars really and they hoisted the foresail to the wind they made for the beach but striking a reef they ran the vessel aground the bow struck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf that's exactly what they were afraid of the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape and so it was a life for life if your prisoner got away your life would be required the soldiers plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship I love the way it ends and so it was and so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the point of the book of Acts in miniature. Over and over and over again in the, books of, in the book of Acts is the phrase, and the word of God grew. So after so many difficult things in Acts, when you would think the church would shrink, and the word of God grew, and the word of God grew, and the word of God increased and was multiplied, and the word of God grew. Which meant that more and more people were trusting in the word of God and the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. That's the point here. Those who trusted in the word of God through Paul, every single one of them was saved. Everyone who places their faith and hope in God's provision of us in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. No exceptions. And there's also another beautiful connection here before we end. It's really remarkable. Go back to panel 3. Look at verses 16, especially verse 17. Acts 27, verses 16 and 17. Remember, they secured the boat skiff. And then they frapped the boat. They put on the frapping cables. 
Verse 16 of Acts 27, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, that's the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used supports. They used this boethia, okay, to undergird the ship. The Greek word for supports, okay, it means frapping cable, okay, it can also mean help. That Greek word, boethia, is used here in Acts 27, 16. The only other time it is used in the Bible is Hebrews 4, 16. We confessed it to get together today. Look at our confession of faith briefly. Look at the bottom of the confession of faith. Hebrews 4, 16. Because Jesus is our great high priest. It reads, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help Boethia in time of need. The Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of the storms of life, he is our frapping cable. You think of that imagery. That imagery is intentional. That is a nautical term. The Lord Jesus Christ in the most difficult times in our life, he does not allow us to be broken up by the rocks, but at that time, he literally binds us together. He protects us. He keeps the integrity of the ship. Not a man who trusted in the word of God through Paul was lost. Everyone made it to the destination. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. No matter what storm you face, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will give you help in your time of need. He will undergird your craft and keep you together. Isn't that amazing? That reference, Acts 27, Okay, and then Hebrews 4.16. I'll end with this. Beautiful quote from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's writing about when Jesus was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and a massive storm came over. Spurgeon writes, When the storm swept over Galilee's dark lake, all faces gathered blackness, all hope was lost, all hearts dreaded shipwreck. When all hope was lost, the slumbering Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, with a word, transform the storm into the deep quiet of a calm. He says this, beloved, this is our application. May our hearts make Jesus their anchor, their rudder, their lighthouse, their lifeboat, and their harbor. Winds and waves will not spare us, but they all obey him. And therefore, whatever storms may occur, the Lord Jesus Christ is ever in the center of of the weather-beaten company, let us rejoice in him. His vessel has reached the haven, and so shall ours. The haven being glory with the triune God. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to get us there, whatever storms we face. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. We thank you for this passage, Father. We just don't have enough time to draw out all of the the meaning and the, and the significance. Father, we thank you so much for the great, the wonderful physician Luke and his attention to historical detail. Lord, this is incredible. We thank you for sending that angel to communicate the word of God to Paul at his time of greatest need. Father, in the storms of life, reassure us to trust in the word of God through the person and work 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever happens in this life, you, Lord Jesus, are our frapping capable. You keep us together in the most difficult of circumstances. Father, help us to trust in your word. Help us to trust in the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, more and more. In his name we pray. Amen.